Let's turn in our Bibles tonight uh, to the prophet Isaiah, or Isaiah, whichever way you want to pronounce it. It's the same person. We'll read chapter 6 from verse number 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphim, Each one had six wings, with twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me! For I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphim unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth, and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away and thy sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go and tell this people, Hear ye indeed, but understand not, and see ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat, and make their ears heavy, and shut their eyes lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and convert and be healed. Then said I, Lord, how long? And he answered, until the cities be wasted without inhabitant and the houses without man and the land be utterly desolate. And the Lord have removed men far away and there be a great forsaking in the midst of the land. But yet in it, shall be a tenth, and it shall return, and shall be eaten as a teal tree and as an oak, whose substance is in them when they cast their leaves. So the holy seed shall be the substance thereof. Amen. And may the Lord bless the reading of his word to all of our hearts. Perhaps we could stand together for prayer. Let's, let's stand and we'll offer prayer unto the Lord. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank Thee that tonight once again we have this privilege to gather around Thy precious Word. We long to hear from heaven. We want to have a word from the Lord for our hearts. I pray that Thou will come and minister graciously to us. Lord, may Thy name be glorified in all that we say. Give us the help of Thy Spirit. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You may be seated. You may or may not have heard just within the last week or two that Queen Elizabeth II of England, of the United Kingdom, celebrated her 96th birthday. And uh, that's an amazing milestone for her to reach. Uh, I know I'm in Republican territory in more than one sense, but I grew up under a monarchy 
Uh, it is a constitutional monarchy. Uh, the Queen really doesn't have that much power, strictly speaking. The power rests with the legislators, with Parliament. But nonetheless, the Queen is an important figure in Great Britain. And by and large, people are very fond of their Queen, including myself. I remember on the 12th of July, 1990, I was witness to a very special event in our home city, where we were living at the time, East Kilbride, Scotland. Her Royal Highness, Her Majesty the Queen Elizabeth, came for a royal visit. She came to open a shopping centre. And as the crowds of men, women and children stood around there, waiting patiently for the arrival of the royal party and of the monarch, I remember that there was a tremendous sense of anticipation and a real air of excitement. Everybody, as you might imagine, tried to find what they thought would be a good vantage point from which to get the best and clearest view of the sovereign. And after waiting for what seemed a very, very long time, that moment arrived when the stately limousine drew up and our little queen emerged, and all to the delight of the cheering crowds around us. It was really exciting to be there and to see it all, I must admit. I could see people stretching their necks and uh, some folks standing on their tiptoes to try to get a better view while children were begging their parents to lift them up on their shoulders that they might see her. Everybody wanted a clear view of the royal visitor. And of course, for those who were fortunate enough to have her stop near them and have a brief chat, it was an even more memorable day. Because not only had those folks seen the Queen of England, but she had actually conversed with them. And that's the experience of a lifetime for many Britons. Well, for me, it was actually the second time I had seen the Queen in the flesh. Because in my home city of Belfast, uh, I think it was about more than 25 years previous to this, when I was a child the Queen came to open something or other. And I remember standing with my family with my little British flag waving and the Queen going by with what I thought was an electronic arm doing this, <laughs> waving at everyone. Now those experiences, memorable as they were uh, for a British citizen, uh, they, they were not in any sense even close to what the prophet Isaiah experienced here. Now, I remember, incidentally, I was standing at a certain point in 1990 when the queen passed by. She stopped right in front of where I was. She was up above in a parking lot with bars, and there were some ladies in front of me. I was standing behind them. I remember the queen stopping, and she looked through the bars, and she said, are you on the inside or are the outside? Well, these elderly ladies in front of me, I thought they were going to have to be carried away. They were so excited. They were so excited that the queen had actually stopped and talked to them. It was just unbelievable as far as they were concerned. But you know, those experiences, memorable as they might be for a British citizen like myself, were nothing special at all, really in the light of this portion of Scripture. Because the Queen, 
And I do sing with all my heart, God save the Queen. Uh, uh, she does profess to be a Christian. I'm not sure if she is really saved or not. Uh, I have times when I believe that she really is, and other times I'm not so sure. I hope she is, but I certainly pray that she is. And when I sing God save the Queen, I mean it. I really want the Lord to save her soul. But she is a human being. She's an ordinary person, really, when it comes right down to it. She eats three square meals a day. She does all the things that the rest of us do. And she is a special person, but really, in a sense, she is just an ordinary woman. This was not true of what Isaiah experienced here. Here it's talking about an infinitely greater sovereign of a far more exalted kingdom and of one who had the experience of a lifetime in looking upon that royal personage because the prophet Isaiah had a truly unforgettable experience in his ministry as a man of God. Because the Bible says in this chapter that he saw the king, the Lord of hosts. He says this in this very passage in verse 5. Woe is me, for I am undone, because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts, Jehovah Sabaoth. I've seen him high and lifted up upon his throne. And this is a most wonderful incident in Scripture. And I want to draw your attention to it tonight, speak of it in some more detail. What happened when Isaiah the prophet saw the king? First of all, I want us to think about this, the special vision of the prophet. The special vision of the prophet. Reading from verse 1, the Bible records that in the year that King Uzziah died, and this is significant because Uzziah had reigned for 52 years. And in that very time when he died and they had his funeral, the prophet saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. Here is a different king, high and lifted up with his train filling the temple. King Uzziah was dead. But the king of glory was not dead. He was on, upon his throne. And as he looked, he says, above it, that is above the throne, stood the seraphim. Now you see in your Bible it says seraphims. You'll also read elsewhere about cherubims. But you understand if I were to say one man and two men's, it wouldn't really make sense. Uh, we have to understand that there's one seraph and two seraphim. It's the plural, and it's in there as seraphims, just to remind us that it is plural. There's more than one. But it's seraphim, uh, angelic creatures with wings. One had six wings. Each one had six wings. But with twain, with two, he covered his face. With twain, he covered his feet. With twain, he did fly. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, or Jehovah Sabaoth. The whole earth is full of his glory. So the prophet had a special vision here. He saw some things. He saw the king's person. I've already referred to it. Mine eyes have seen the king. He saw the Lord as he was, the king of kings. And it was a vision that he needed to have 
if he was to be truly prepared for his prophetic ministry. He needed that vision of that glorious person. Now, if you keep your finger there at Isaiah chapter 6 and turn over in your Bible to to, uh, John chapter 12, the Gospel of John chapter 12, you'll discover there in verse number 41, when the Lord Jesus Christ was discussing Isaiah chapter 6, he said this, John 12, 41, These things, that's the quotation from the sixth chapter. These things said Isaiah when he saw his glory and spake of him. This is the Holy Spirit telling us that what Isaiah saw was the glory of the Lord Jesus. It was Christ that he saw that day on the throne. It's Christ who is referred to as the King and the Lord of hosts. It's the person of Christ that he had revealed to him, the king's person. Christ exalted and glorified. And you will note carefully that he saw him and then he spoke of him. And this is the necessary and proper order. You know, as a preacher, I cannot really speak about the king in truth, the way that he ought to be spoken about, if I've not seen him by the eye of faith. You cannot speak to others of Jesus with any sort of conviction if you've never met him. I think it was Spurgeon who said, someone who's not converted, trying to witness to somebody is like a thief trying to lecture someone on the subject of honesty. We're not speaking from the standpoint of experience or knowledge. Job said, I have heard of thee with the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. Again, in John 12, uh, we notice in verse 21 that there were those who came to Philip, which was of Bethsaida of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. We would see Jesus. And you will never be able to point others to Jesus if you have no experience of seeing him yourself. The Christian life is to be lived looking unto Jesus, maintaining fellowship and communion with him. As a preacher of God's word, I need to see the Lord in private if I am to properly present him to the view of others in public. It was said of the great Andrew Bonner of Scotland, that when he came out of his study at the side of the pulpit and ascended up the pulpit steps to preach, to the congregation it was as though he was coming from the immediate presence of the Lord. And when he would finish preaching and he would step down from the pulpit, go down those pulpit steps and go back into that room, they said it was as if he was leaving the pulpit to go back into the presence of the Lord. We need to see Christ, the king's person. But notice as well concerning the special vision of the prophet here that he saw the king's position. He not only saw who it was, but where he was. And where was he? On a throne, high and lifted up. 
sitting upon a throne. That is the description that he gives right there at the beginning of that chapter. Isaiah chapter 6 and verse number 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. In other words, this was an exalted view of the Lord. He was high and lifted up. He was in an exalted position. It was, I believe, J.A. Alexander, the great preacher in the days when Princeton was worth anything, who said to the young men who were training for the ministry, we must always, brethren, entertain only the very highest views of Christ. We must entertain only the very highest views of Christ. In other words, we're never to allow for a moment any belief or any thought that brings the Lord down to the level of the ordinary. And I wish I could get that message across to some of these preachers who speak so glibly of the Lord. They speak of Him as if He were a buddy from high school. And yet He is the sovereign Lord of heaven. You know, the Lord was seen here as exalted and on a throne of glory. And if you compare the opening words of the chapter and note that the earthly king of the time was dead, the throne was empty. Uzziah, 52 years ruling, now the throne is empty because he has died. But Isaiah looks at a king who never vacates the throne. He never leaves the throne. He's always ruling in power and in might and in majesty. And oh, how we need to think of that and remember that in these evil days. The Lord, as He's described in Scripture, is the governor among the nations. It was Nebuchadnezzar who himself was a great king. It was actually a despot, an unscrupulous man who decided whether people would live or die at his whim. It was he who said, when the Lord taught him the lesson, by making him like a beast of the field, in Daniel chapter 4, verse 25, he was told there that, that he would know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will. And when you come to verse 35, you have his own confession. Well, let's read verse 34 for the connection here. Daniel 4, verses 34 and 35. And at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven, and mine understanding returned unto me, and I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored Him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and His kingdom is from generation to generation. And notice this, and all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing, nothing to him. And he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say unto him, what doest thou? He described him further in verse 37 in this way. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven. The King of heaven. He's the ruler. He's the sovereign. 
That's his position. And when we think of the ministry of Isaiah, it was to be difficult. It was to be hard in many ways. But this view of the Lord was going to sustain him and give him courage and strength. He would always remember this. The sovereign is on the throne. And he will have his way. And that is the vision that we need today. That is the vision that we, that we require this evening. And it's that vision that will enable us to endure any hardship and pass through any seeming crisis. God is still on the throne. And as the little hymn puts it, He will remember His own. Though trials may press us and burdens distress us, He never will leave us alone. God is still on the throne, and He will remember His own. His promise is true. He will not forget you. God is still on the throne. That's the vision that we need. That's the vision, the special vision that was granted to the prophet. God on the throne. You know what that means? That means that God's cause will triumph. God's cause will triumph. The Lord God omnipotent reigneth. But there's something else as well as the king's person and his position The prophet saw the king's place. He mentions here his train filled the temple. Now, I must confess, when I was a little boy, that used to puzzle me. And I used to think, I can't wait to get to heaven to see that train. But then I have to understand, that doesn't mean a locomotive. It meant his flowing robes. His train, his flowing robes filled the temple. The the thought here is of the great high priest. And his presence filled the sanctuary, the holy place. And of course, the mention of the earthly king, Uzziah, is really significant here, therefore. Go back in your Bible to 2 Chronicles, and you'll see why this is important. 2 Chronicles chapter 26. Uh, you know, you, you might look at this and think, well, why is he even, even telling us here that this is the year that King Uzziah died? What has that got to do with anything? Well, you go back to Second Chronicles 26, to the history, and read from verse 16. And it says of this man, Uzziah, But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. For he transgressed against the Lord his God. And notice where he went. He went into the temple of the Lord to burn incense upon the altar of incense. And Azariah the priest went in after him, and with him fourscore priests of the Lord, eighty of them, that were valiant men. And they withstood Uzziah the king, and said unto him, It appertaineth not unto thee, Uzziah, to burn incense unto the Lord, but to the priests, the sons of Aaron, that are consecrated to burn incense. Go out of the sanctuary, for thou hast trespassed Neither shall it be for thine honor from the Lord God. Then Uzziah was wroth, had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And while he was wroth with the priests, the leprosy even rose up in his forehead before the priests in the house of the Lord from beside the incense altar. And Azariah the chief priest and all the priests looked upon him, and behold, he was leprous in his forehead. And they thrust him out from thence. Yea, himself hasted also to go out, because the Lord had smitten him. 
And Uzziah the king was a leper unto the day of his death and dwelt in a several house being a leper for he was cut off from the house of the Lord. So you see the picture. Here's a man who doesn't belong in the temple. Here's a man who doesn't belong in that holy place offering incense. He's he's the king, but he's not a priest. He presumed to enter the temple and the sanctuary as a priest. It was not his place to do so. He was a king out of his place in that sanctuary. But in Isaiah chapter 6, you have a king who's in his rightful place in the sanctuary, in the temple. He's exalted. He's glorified. His glory fills the place. And in fulfillment of that, we can only refer to the church, the assembly of God's people, because there the Lord our King must have all the glory. The 42nd chapter of this prophecy, Isaiah chapter 42 and verse 8, he says, I am the Lord, or Jehovah, you could translate that, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. The Lord will have all the glory in his temple. But as well as the king's place, the prophet saw in this special vision the king's purity. What did those seraphim say one to another? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Those seraphim covered their faces with their wings in his presence because he is the Holy One. And so the prophet here had a vision of the holiness of the Lord, the King. And we need to see the Lord in that way, as he really is, the Holy One of Israel. These seraphim, these angelic beings, they spoke of God's holiness. And they appeared with suitable reverence in his presence, covering their faces with their wings. Is it not an interesting thought, though, that they were sinless creatures? They weren't sinners. They were not among the sons of men. The seraphim, they're angelic creatures. They had never sinned. And yet those sinless creatures still hid their faces in God's presence. Think about our position by comparison. What is our view of the Lord? How much more would we not, in that sense, have cause to hide our faces in his presence? And yet because of grace, because of mercy, we don't have to hide our faces. We can come with boldness into the presence of the Lord, for we are accepted in Christ. But Ezekiel 39 verse 7 says this, The Lord says, So will I make my holy name known in the midst of my people Israel, and I will not let them pollute my holy name anymore. And the heathen shall know that I am the Lord, the Holy One in Israel. This was the special vision of the prophet. I think we need to think as well, secondly, of the spiritual vexation of the prophet. The spiritual vexation of the prophet is really encapsulated in those words of verse 5, where the prophet begins, Woe is me, 
for I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Here Isaiah is seen in the presence of the Lord speaking for the first time. And it is not to boast in his experience. It is not to glory in the privilege that he has had to be able to view the king on the throne in the temple, but to confess his utter unworthiness and sin. Not for him the worthless boast of his high experience with God, nor even to talk about his high degree of sanctification. He was vexed. Again, compare verse 1 with verse 5. He said, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. His train filled the temple. And verse 5, Mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. In other words, he saw God as he really was, and in light of that vision, he saw what he himself really was. Saw himself. He had a vision of the Lord, and then he had a vision of himself. I'm unclean. You will see this in the words of Paul, that the closer one gets to the Lord, the lesser his view of himself will be. You might think, you know, the closer I get to the Lord, the more conscious I will be of my own spiritual progress. And I think it's the opposite. I think the closer you get to the Lord, the more you see your own faults and failures. It's a bit like standing in a suit like this under artificial light. And I think, yeah, it looks all right. There's nothing really on here. And I go outside into the natural light, and I say, oh, dear, look at that. There's a stain on the leg of, there's not really, but there's, there's a stain on the leg of my pants. There, there's, this, there's fluff, there's pieces of whatever all over my suit. I didn't see that in the artificial light, but in the full blaze of the sunlight outside, I could see it. And the nearer we get to the Lord, that's the way it's going to be when we examine our own condition. We will see ourselves as God sees us more and more. And it's not a pretty sight. Romans 7 verse 24. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death or this body of death? O wretched man. The spiritual vexation of the prophet included his being vexed by the filthiness of sin. He mentions here unclean lips. Unclean lips. And it is necessary for us as believers to be vexed about our own sins. Woe is me. That's where we have to start. Now, yes, he did go on to say, I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. But that's not how he started he started by looking at himself. He said, woe is me, for I am undone. I am a man.